invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to the psalm we read a little earlier. Psalm 121. It's a famous quote, and I think you've heard it before. It's so hard to get good help. I think that is an old quote that has a lot of relevancy in our day, right? If you ever think about that quote a little bit, you'll notice that that quote is drawing a conclusion. And the conclusion is that they've tried to get good help in all kinds of different places from all kinds of sources and have seemingly failed miserably. Um, Just ask business owners today to see how true that is. Um, It's hard to get people to show up for a job, much less work hard, um, to actually be on time, to actually do their job, to actually do things right. I've been told that to actually have someone do their job, keep doing their job, and not quit after only a few weeks or at the most a few months is also very hard. So employers look for good workers, good help, and they use temp agencies, they use recruiters, depending on the job it is. They'll go to certain universities and get people right as they graduate. Why? Because they know how difficult it is to get good help. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying today, he's asking this question, where do you get your help from? Um, because, you know, where you look for help matters. See, not only in the business world, but also in your world, especially the spiritual world. See, Psalm 120 and 121, if you read them together, they actually go together. They're connected. They're the beginning psalms of a section of the songs called the Songs of Ascent. They were the psalms that everybody quoted and they sang as they left their homes to make their trek to Jerusalem, which was a rugged journey and often dangerous. There were robbers. If you've read the Good Samaritan story, you'll know that he fell amongst thieves uh, on his way to Jericho. It was a very difficult journey, but they would sing these psalms because wherever they were coming from, they were going to Jerusalem. Leviticus required that if you were a faithful Israelite, that you went three times during the year to make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festivals and the feasts that they had. And this is the psalms that they would sing on their way there. Psalm 120, right before ours, says that here's the, the context of what's happening in Psalm 121. He says that every time he speaks for peace, his enemies want war. See, he's trying to worship God. He's trying to put God at the center of his life, but he lives in a context of a battle. He lives in a context of having a fight. So where the psalmist looks to find help against his foes and against his enemies matters. And what you'll find in this psalm is he doesn't look down, he doesn't look around, he looks up. Now see, that's not a given, not in the psalmist's day either, because the temptation way back there is the same temptation that we face today, and that is this, to look somewhere other than God for a source of help. That's what everyone was doing in Bible times. You don't have to turn there, but in the book of Isaiah, there's an awesome contrast. In the contrast, it says that my people Israel were going down to Egypt to look for help. You see, in their day when you were going to fight a battle and the enemy that you were facing was bigger and better than you were and stronger than you were, then you made alliances. Although that was forbidden for Israel's king to ever make alliance or coalition 
They often did it. Why? Because everyone else did that. That's where power in the world was supposed to come from. People who had chariots and more horses and advanced weaponry. And so they would make these alliances. And it says, my people have gone down to find their shadow and their shelter in Egypt. But here's what God says. There's no help there In fact, in Isaiah 30 and verse 7, he says that Egypt's help is worthless. It's empty. Isaiah 31.1 says, Woe, and that is the word for judgment. How does God respond this morning for people who claim to be Christians, but in their spiritual life they turn and look to other places other than him for help? He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who do not look to... Lift their eyes to him, the Holy One of Israel. He says the Egyptians are man and not God. You see the difference? He says, but they look there, and because of that, the helper will stumble, and those who are helped will fall, and they're all going to perish together. He says, get it in your mind. See, when you lift your eyes and look to me, here's what you're also doing simultaneously. You are looking away from other sources of help. See, this morning, perhaps God brought you here and he wants you to say, hey, stop looking to Egypt for your help. This morning, I brought you here because I want you to look away from all the other sources that you're looking for to solve all the problems that you're facing in life. And when you do, a few chapters later, Isaiah 41, the contrast, here's what he says in verse 10. Fear not, I'm with you. He says, don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Listen to this. I will help you. See, I'll help you. And then he says, when I do, 44 to the Lord who made you, who formed you in your mother's womb, I will help you. God wants you to know this morning, child of God, he knows you. He made this world, and more importantly, he made you. And he wants you to see this morning this truth. It matters. It matters where you look to find help. Ben Franklin, since it's July 4th weekend, right? Ben Franklin said this, God helps those who help themselves. Sounds good. It's a lie. God helps those who look to him for help. That's the biblical truth. So today, are you in a war zone of your own, fighting battles that you face overwhelming odds, things that you don't think that you can overcome in your life. Maybe this morning you didn't realize it when you came here and now that you're sitting down and hearing God's word, you're saying, you know right, Pastor Walker, I I do indeed need to put a help wanted sign out. And you may not want to say it publicly, but help wanted in your marriage would be a good thing. Help wanted in your fight for holiness because you know Maybe in your heart, no one else does the things that you're being defeated by in your spiritual life. Help wanted emotionally, overcome, constantly defeated by fear, anxiety, depression, impatience, inner battles, anger, bitterness, unforgiving spirit, greed, materialism. See, see, there's battles going on. And whether it looks like it or not, on the inside, we're facing those battles. And the question is, the psalmist wants to ask, where are you going to look? Where are you going to look to get your help? God or Egypt? Man's wisdom or God's wisdom? And see, here's what the psalmist is pleading for. Don't just settle for good help. 
Get God help because it's the best kind of help that you could ever have. And see, to do that this morning, let me say right off the bat, you have to admit that you need help first. Because when he says, I lift up my eyes to the hill, where did my help come? My help comes from the Lord. See, here's what he says, and him only. So I can't be getting self-help and Savior help at the same time. I can't be getting social help and getting God help. See, I can't be looking to others. I have to look not around but above. Asa knew that. Jehoshaphat knew that. In their battles, they had to say, God, I don't know where to turn, but here's what I know this. I'm going to turn to you because you're the only source of help that I could ever possibly need. And so he says, I lift up my eyes and I look to the hills, the hills, Mount Zion, where the temple of God was, where where his presence was. He's going on this journey to worship God. He's leaving his house, and he's going to worship God on this pilgrimage, and he finally gets within the view of Israel, and he looks up, and there he sees the beauty of the temple, and he says, see, that's where my help comes from, and that's why you come to church. You know why? Because you came here to church this morning, and I want you to see it. See, this is God's house. This is where you can get help, and you've come to the right place. The word help is the word ezer. It means Eliezer, the name, God is my help. 42 times in the Psalms, here's what the psalmist says, I cried to the Lord for help, and he answered me. But I thought, what's the question here? Why does the psalmist choose to turn his eyes to the Lord? Why does he look to the hills? Why does he look to where God is? Why doesn't he do like everybody else? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just turn to psychology? Why wouldn't you just turn to the world? Why wouldn't you turn to all the answers that everybody else is giving for help today? Because the psalmist came to the one realization that perhaps you need to come to this morning is that when you look to the Lord, here's the kind of help he is. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Did you see that? Number one, he's a transcendent helper. He's a transcendent helper. He made heaven and earth. He's the creator. And that's not just a statement that you just run by. In the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East, when you said God is the maker of heaven and earth, it was an identity thing for you. Jonah, remember when they asked him when the ship was starting to go bad, right, in the storm? Who are you, Jonah? Well, I, I, am, I serve Yahweh. Who, what, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the dry land and all that is therein. See, here's what he wants you to know. I serve the creator God. A lot of local deities, they had created some things. They were in control of some things. But here's what Jonah says. Here's what the psalmist says. Here's what you need to understand. See, that your helper is transcendent. He's the creator He makes everything. He controls everyone, everything. He is all-powerful. Now, wouldn't you agree that before you're going to ask someone to help you, you want to know if they can, right? I mean, don't you want your helper to have at least a a better resume than you do? I mean, if you're going to ask them to help, you want them to be more knowledgeable about the problem you're facing than you are. Otherwise, there's no more benefit than your own help. You want them to be more able to solve your problem. If you have a $20,000 debt and have $2,000 in the bank, don't you want someone who's got more money in the bank than you do? I mean, don't you want someone more experienced? They've been through this before. This is your first time around, right? But you want someone who says, hey, let me tell you what to do. This has happened to me so many times. Do this and you're going to be fine. Wouldn't you like to hear that? 
See, if you want to have someone make something that's really good, fix something, you're going to ask in our church, you're going to go Donnie Adams, Tim Adams, one of those guys, some of the people who can build the things in our church and do those things. See, if you want to have your financial questions answered, you'll go to Dennis or you'll go to, I'm learning Jim or Carol, right? One of the, you can go to some of these people. If you want to help in the technology world, you'll go to Pastor Steve, Pastor Lawrence, Brent Williams, some of these people. If you need help fixing your car, you're going to come to me. <laughs> right? Why are you laughing? I'm offended. I know why you're laughing, because I can't fix any car or anything. I don't even use duct tape right. I don't have any wisdom. I don't have any mechanical ability. You're not going to come to me. I'm no more help than you. Less, actually. Ask me to help you understand the Bible. I can help you. Ask me where to find a good restaurant. (laughs) I can help you. You want to read a good book? I can help you. Fix your car? You're on your own. Psalmist knows this. He knows it. You know what he does? So he looks to God for help. Why? Because he's the only one that's the creator. He has all the power that you could possibly ask for. Read Isaiah 40 sometime. It's God's helper resume. Look what it says. He spoke and there was light. He created billions of stars and billions of galaxies. And Isaiah says this. And by the way, he knows all their names. He measures the oceans and the seas, and he puts all that water in the palm of his hand. He measures the universe, which is infathomable and incomprehensible to our finite minds. He says, I can do it in a span, which was the distance between your elbow and your fingers. God says, see the universe? I can put it all right there and have space left over. The mountains and the hills, they're nothing to me. Everest is a drop in the bucket. The nations are nothing. They're like dust on a scale, he says to me. Why in the world would you go somewhere else? He's the creator helper. He's the transcendent helper. He's arguing, can you hear him? From the greater to the lesser. He's saying if God can make and create out of nothing everything that we see, and he has that kind of wisdom and power, and he can do all that without anyone's help, you think that he could possibly handle your situation this morning? He can. He can. See, not unlike you and I, he doesn't have categories of easy or hard. Oh, Pastor Walker, I don't know. This one's so hard. God says, hard? What's that? He doesn't have those categories. You and I have those categories. He doesn't have those categories. In fact, he says there's nothing I can't do. Verse 3 says, he'll not let your foot be moved. Seriously? I mean, how powerful and wise is he? I mean, down to the very detail, your foot. I mean, the idea, the word and the picture is a shepherd on the hillside out in the wilderness in the desert with sheep, and he's watching all these sheep at the same time. And he, you know there's cliffs that you could fall over. You could have rugged terrain that are unsure footing. There are wolves. There are all kinds of animals. He, he says, listen, I so closely watch you. I am so powerful, so wise. I'm so into your life that you're one, even a step, every step you take, I've got it all under control. There won't be any falling or slipping without my notice, he says. So no matter where you are, no matter when it happens, God says, I got this. I got this. How can he do that? 
Because you know what kind of helper he is? He's a transcendent helper, but that's not all. As great as that is, and as necessary that, as it is, he's not just transcendent helper, he's an imminent helper. Look at verse 3 and following. He keeps your foot, and then he goes on to say this, verse 4, he who keeps you will not slumber. I love the rest of this passage because one after another, personal pronouns, there's 10 of them. My, 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 your, he, he just completely just keeps stacking them up because here's what he wants you to know, why you should turn and look to God for your help. You know why? Because he has all the power, he has all the wisdom, he's transcendent, he's so far beyond you, he's out there, he's God, he's everything that you need, but he is up close and he's personal. See, he's not some distant deity out there that says, oh, I've got all the cosmic power I need. Watch me do. No. He knows your foot. He knows where you walk. He knows every detail about your personal life. See, he who keeps you will not slumber. In literary terms, this is a poetic thing going on in the psalm, and it's called step parallelism. And it's a, a word that's recorded in the first verse and then in the very next verse, it's repeated, or the next phrase. So he says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. See how he does that? And he says, he who keeps you, and then he'll keep you. He doesn't slumber, and the next verse he says, slumber again. The Lord, the Lord, keep, keep. He keeps going back and forth. Why does he use that kind of poetry? Because he emphatically wants you to grasp that this is no uncertain thing with God. That he will not fall asleep on the job. See, keep and keeper is a term that's used six times in this chapter, this psalm. It's, he's the best helper. Why is he the best helper? Because he's incredibly powerful, watch, and incredibly personal. It's mind-blowing to the psalmist, as it ought to be to you and I. So much so in verse 4, here's how he starts. Behold, <laughs> 33 times in the Psalms, behold, I mean, there's a truth that comes into his mind about God that just blows him away, and it just is an anchor to his soul in the most difficult times, in the foes that he's facing, in the fights that he's encountering. He has to say this, I can't believe my helper is at the same time both transcendent and imminent, all-powerful and all-personal. It blows his mind he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Now, in the ancient Near East, that was amazing because all the gods other than Yahweh of the Bible took time off. You laugh, but it's true. The god Baal, the god of weather and thunder and lightning and rain, when it was all parched and there was nothing growing in the summer, they believed that he took time off. And they even go so far to say as God, the god Baal was sleeping all summer so he'd be ready for the fall. <laughs> I'm so glad our God doesn't take off, don't you? Are you? No summer breaks for God. He's not taking off the summer or a week off or a month off, a day off, a minute off. He doesn't even take a second off in your life. Imagine if he did. He doesn't have to take a nap. He doesn't say to some of the angels, hey, watch over the shop. I got to get a little shut eye. That's not God. My mom used to say this. She'd be sitting on the couch and her eyes would be closed. And, and I know she's sleeping. She didn't want to admit it. I don't know why, but she didn't want to admit it. Oh, I'm just resting my eyes. You ever say that? God never says that. 
You pray to him, and he goes, oh, oh, wait, yo, God, were you sleeping? Nope, just resting my eyes. God never says that. He never says that. We're humans. We say that. You know why? You know why we sleep? Think about it. A third of your life. A third of your life. For some of you, way more. We sleep. You know why? We have to. We need it. We're men, women. We're not God. We're limited. Do you see why you need to go to him and why it's foolish to go to other people first? You know why? You keep going to limited help. He's unlimited. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't take any time off. Why? He's God. He's unlimited. He doesn't need to. But isn't it true? It seems like he does. Right? Are you here this morning and ever thought when you're going through your fights and your battles, I think he's asleep. I don't know where he is. Psalmist says in Psalm 43, 44, 23, awake. Why are you sleeping, O God? Maybe you've never verbalized it, but have you ever thought it? God, what are you doing? Are you seeing where my kids are? Wake up, we'd say. God, do you understand? Look at my health crisis. Do you hear the diagnosis, what the doctor said? Where are you? My job, I'm not going to pay the bills. I'm going to be out of this apartment. I'm out of this house. Where are you? Wake up, God, we'd say in our hearts. The disciples did. Remember in Mark 4? They're bailing for their lives. I mean, professional fishermen on a storm that they can't handle. Probably the first and only time of their lives on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, they're bailing. They can't get this thing's going to go under. And it says Jesus was asleep in the stern. He was resting And they shake him, and they wake him up, and they say, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you care that we're perishing? Have you ever thought those thoughts in your mind? See, God's asleep, you think, this morning on your life, because he isn't acting and getting up and doing what you want, when you want, so you think that he's not really there. And they had to realize that even though Jesus' eyes were closed, he was well aware, well aware of the storm they were facing. Can I tell you this morning, take courage. He knows your storm. He knows your struggles. He knows your suffering. And I will guarantee you, he's not asleep. He's not asleep. Which brings us to the middle of this psalm. Psalm 121.5 has 58 syllables before in Hebrew and 58 after This is the point that he's looking at. It's the center of the psalm. And here's what that phrase is, the center, the climax. The Lord is your keeper. It almost as, as you read this psalm, it almost seems as if I trust the Lord, I look away from other sources of help spiritually, I look to him, then everything in my life will go okay. Can I tell you this? That's how false doctrines start. False doctrines come about when we take one passage in isolation from all the other ones and make a theology or a doctrine or a teaching out of it. Can I tell you this? This psalm is not promising that if you trust the Lord and you believe in him and you look to him by faith and say, God, you're my helper in this circumstance and situation, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you will never face difficult times. There will be hot seasons, the sun that will strike you, right? The moon, you know the word lunatic. You used to think that luna, moon, 
means that if you had too much moon at night and you got a lot of, you know, that might, might make you go crazy. They used to believe that. He says, listen, you trust God. You look to him for your help. It doesn't mean that there won't be times where you will face cold or extreme hot. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to face any difficulties, that you won't need shade or shelter. It will not mean that there aren't any battles or foes that you have to face. What it means is the Lord will help you through it. A great book, a classic, I would call it. If you've never read it, you ought to, by Elizabeth Elliot, called In the Shadow of the Almighty. She tells about her husband, Jim Elliot, along with four other guys, who tried to have a ministry to the Aka Indians in Ecuador in a very short time of flying their plane in and trying to minister to them. They were stabbed to death, and all of them were killed on the shore. Amazing story about her response as his wife. She writes, here's what I have learned, that the Lord is my help. And she says, but this kind of help, not a refuge from suffering, but through it. See, that's what the psalmist is saying. See, what kind of help is God? He's a transcendent help. He's an imminent help. He is there for you. He is your keeper. But it doesn't mean that there won't be struggles or suffering or difficulties or loss. He goes on to say so much so, he says, well, the Lord is your shade. We'd almost say the Lord is your shadow because he is at your right hand, it says. See, being on someone's right hand is a military term because you fought with a shield in your left hand right? And you were vulnerable on your right. So here's how they did warfare uh, formations. You would fight here and there would be another soldier to your right and they would help you in your weak spot, your vulnerable spot. They would stand there and fight so you could do this and you wouldn't have to worry about this. Here's what the idea is. God says, listen, I'm going to shade you. So if you get attacked from the sun, you get attacked from the moon on your vulnerable spot where you're the weakest, God says, I got that. I even have that in your life. I'm going to protect you. The psalmist says in 16.8, because the Lord is at my right hand, I won't be moved. Every single one of us in this auditorium today, we have weak spots, vulnerable spots, right? Things that we're prone to do. Temptations, allurements, right? Things that we are, get us down, make us afraid. Things that will bring tears to our eyes. See, we have those vulnerable things in our life. And God says, listen, I've got all of that covered. You put your shield up. I got the spot where you can't handle. Things that come in your blind spot. See, I got it all, he says. I'm going to take care of that. He's alert to all of the things that can attack you. The psalmist goes out of his way to show just how comprehensive God's coverage is. He uses these pairs, see it, the text, underline it, five opposites. He says, God is maker of heaven and earth, sun and moon, day and night, coming in, going out, this time, forevermore. You see how he goes back and forth? Why does he go back and forth between all five of those opposites? Because he wants you to know, name a situation, either side of the coin, I got it. He wants you to know, I can handle it. That's the kind of helper I am. I am so powerful, so wise, so close. It doesn't matter 24-7, day or night, I got this handled. I can handle it. You coming in and going out, I can handle that. 
Now, present, or in the future, I got it. Heaven and earth and everything in between, I got it. So tell him this morning, God, here's my situation. Tell him. He goes, listen, trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Obey my word because I can handle it. I'm going to get you through it one way or the other. And then he says, let me just sum it all up in case there's a thing you're thinking of that I haven't said directly. You know how sometimes, well, you never really said that. God says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil, all of it. Think about it. No matter who you face this week, no matter where it is, no matter when it is, no matter what it is, he can be your keeper, your guardian, your protector. Listen, have you ever gone to someone and said, wow, I think I can come to you for everything? We don't. We have certain people that we go to for this, that, or the other. But can I tell you this? Can I say it reverently? God's a one-stop shop. You know why? Because he can help with anyone and everyone, everything in your life. He can handle it. God's helpline, 1-800-GOD, is always available to you. See, he says, coming in and going out. You know what those terms were? That was daily life. Everybody lived in these walled cities, if you weren't in a little teeny village somewhere, and they had walls and they had gates, and then you'd go outside the gate sometimes to go to your job and work at a field, and then you'd come back in, go in and coming out, going in and coming out. He says, everywhere in your daily life. It's not just the big events he can handle. Listen, the everyday little things, getting to work, Right? doing the things that you're doing every day, every hour, every, he knows where you are, what you face. See, listen, that's God. That's why you should look to him for your help. He's transcendent and he's imminent. He's right there every step of your everyday, ordinary day. But lastly, verse 8, he says, from this time forth, and forevermore. See, he's not just a transcendent helper and an imminent helper. He's a permanent helper. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? For this time. See, right now he's been focusing on this entire psalm. All the things in this world, in this life that he can handle. But you know how good God is as a helper? He can help you beyond this life. He can help you beyond this life. See, he's got a security package that he wants to offer all of those who are here today. And it's not just one with a lifetime guarantee. It's an eternal lifetime guarantee. Forevermore. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, you can read it for yourself in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, he says, And the Lord has delivered me from the mouth of the lion meaning he has done that up until now. And he will deliver me unto his heavenly kingdom unto the age. See, here's what Paul says. See, in the present, God has saved me. He's delivered me. And although Paul eventually gave his life as a martyr for the faith, he says, I know this, God will deliver me all the way to his heavenly kingdom forever. See, can I tell you this? You can go through life and have all this truth and this hope, and you think God is with you. Listen, and you can have all these things go right, but if you don't have your eternity settled, if you don't know God is your forevermore helper, see, you're going to have the worst insecurity that you could possibly have. See, lift your eyes to him. 
Because the greatest help that you could possibly ever need in your life is salvation help. And I'm going to tell you scripturally, there is no one else that can help you. There's, he's a one-of-a-kind Savior. You can't self-help yourself into the kingdom. You cannot self-help yourself into heaven. You need Savior help. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel had sinned greatly against God, and he sent serpents to judge them. And many of them were bit by the serpent and died. And here's what he said. I want you to take and form a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to put that pole in the middle of the camp, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell everybody this. If you get bit by a snake because of your sin, I want you to look to that pole. I want you to look away from yourself. I want you to look away from the serpent. Here's what I, I want you to look to the pole because it symbolizes me, what I can do, because I'm the only one that can defeat the serpent, your sin. Look to the pole and live. Would you do that this morning? Would you say, Pastor Walker, listen, it's not how good I am. That won't cut it when it comes to being right with God and getting to heaven. It's not about my baptism that I had as a kid, as a baby or as an adult. It's not about the catechism I completed or the sacraments that I've taken. It's not about my good works. It's not about being a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Presbyterian. It's not about my religiosity. It's about my relationship with you. And I can't have one unless you and you alone have taken care of my sin. See, God, I need help. Remember what we said earlier? You'll never get God's help unless you see yourself as helpless. Romans 5, 6 says this, but when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Would you recognize this morning spiritually how helpless you are? That you're a sinner and you need a savior and Jesus is your only hope. See, it's his cross death and payment for your sins and his resurrection. See, the battle that you're in, there's a greater one, believe it or not. It's the battle for your soul. 1 Peter 2.11 says, that we should be careful because we are in a war for our souls. And if you haven't won that battle, you can this morning because Jesus can give you that victory. If you put your faith and trust, see, that's where trusting him every day starts. It starts with coming to say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and he's my only hope. He's my hope and my help. Have you ever called on him? Have you ever said that you need him in your life to forgive your sins and to be your savior, to take over and control your life, to be the Lord of your life? See, if you haven't, you need to start there today. Would you come and let one of us take the scriptures and show you today how God can be your greatest help to know you're forgiven, to know you have a home in heaven? And then every day you can begin to learn that the Lord is your help by faith. It matters, doesn't it? It matters where you find your help. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning and no one looking around. Help. One word, seemingly so simple to say. Help. Would you say it this morning? It's a lot harder than you think. Because when you ask for help, it means 
you're insufficient, that you can't solve the problem. Help means I need someone outside of who I am. See, the first thing we said today was this. Lifting your eyes to Jesus means getting them off yourself, other people, other things. If you're looking for salvation in heaven, and someday I was talking with a guy who came in by the church just the other day, and he needed help. And I began to talk to him about his greatest need of help, his salvation. He wasn't interested because he thought that getting a ticket on the train and having a money that he needed was way more important because he really couldn't see himself as helpless. Perhaps God brought you here this morning to open your eyes and your heart to this reality. I'm not strong enough. But he is. And that's why he came to die. He died in weakness, but it was really the most powerful event that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. Here's what he says this morning. Would you say I'm weak? Pastor Walker, I'm weak. Isaiah 40 goes on to say at the end, he gives strength. He gives help to those who are weak. If you recognize this morning you're a sinner, Pastor Walker, I I see this morning, it's not my good works because I can't merit favor with God or forgiveness, but he can. Jesus died for me and rose again, and I need to put my faith and trust in him for forgiveness and eternal life. And I want to do that this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, balcony or main floor. Would you just raise your hand? I need to put my faith and trust in him as my Savior and my Lord. I've, I've never done that. I need to this morning. Would you just keep your hand up and I'll pray for you? Anyone at all? I need to put my trust in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Perhaps you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you're a Christian, you're a believer, your desire is to follow Jesus. But you'd say, Pastor Walker, there are some wars I'm in today. And I haven't hung the help wanted sign out there because I'm too proud. I don't want to admit that I have a need. I don't want to let people think I'm too weak. Oh. Humility says, I need God's help. I need to trust him. I see who he is. And I want to look to him for my help this morning. And I want to do it purposely so that he gets the glory and I get the good. Would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you also as I close in just a few minutes. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. All of the auditorium. Father, you are our help. We're thankful for people and wisdom that they have, but we turn and want to, desire to, turn to you first and foremost. You are a transcendent and an imminent and a permanent helper. I pray for those who raised their hand this morning, indicating they're not sure about eternity. They're not sure that they're saved. They're not sure that they have a home in heaven. They're not sure that they have eternal life now. God, would you work in their hearts through your spirit, through the word, to bring them to faith and repentance. As many as you've ordained to eternal life might come to find faith in Christ even today. And for those who raise their hand as believers, as saints of God, they're in a war, they're in a battle. And it's so easy because everybody else just looks other places for other 
sources of help. I pray today for them that they would turn their eyes to you. Turn their eyes to you. Look upon Jesus to find all the help they need. And we'll praise you and give you all the glory. For it's in his matchless name we pray. Amen.